Hello and welcome to the Green Canary. This is the new environmental podcast where we're going to be talking about all things related to the environment, to the climate, to all sorts of things to do with new energy. I'm Ant Sharwood. I'm a journo. I'm an author. Joining me is Elfie Scott. Hi, Elfie. Hi, I'm Elfie Scott. I'm a journalist, writer, and I guess you could call me a pretty lazy tweeter as well. Okay, so in general, each week we're going to try and talk about a lot of wide-ranging stuff on this podcast, right? And But unavoidably this week we're going to have to talk about COP26 because that is this week's environmental news. And we're going to dedicate this entire episode to catching the audience up on everything that went down in Glasgow over the past couple of weeks. We certainly are. It's going to be the good cop. It's going to be the bad cop. You're going to have to cop a lot of cop puns. Oh, but, God, yeah, I'm us. sorry about that. I'm so sorry. I really am. But, but seriously, there's, there's a lot to talk about. I want to summarise. I want to chuck it all in one place. It was interesting. We were Googling COP earlier today, weren't we? And Mm -hmm. there's no real summary. There's no one place that goes, this is everything that happened at COP. So in the next 15 or 20 minutes, we might try to do that. Yeah. Welcome to the Green Canary. All right. So we know that there were some various dramas that unfolded before the conference actually started. But can you walk me through what those actually looked like quickly, please? Well, I mean, really quickly, we had... um, looking like Scott Morrison wasn't going to make it. I mean, we, we were actually at a place where we did not realise that the, the Australian Prime Minister was going to go to this thing, but mm. but he got there. I mean, Prince Charles, you know, said it was the last chance saloon and I love it when my royals invoke Western imagery to describe a situation, but that's that's what happened and, and he got there. Um, almost everybody got there except for Xi Jinping and one or two other absentees, Vladimir mm-hmm. Putin. But, um, yeah, it was it was a good turnout in the end. Yeah, absolutely. And there were some pretty definitive moments of the conference. Can you tell me what your favourite moment was? Because I know that this is a very dramatic turning point in what we were all watching unfold. <laughs> it certainly was. And it's not often you say that, Elfie, about a speech at a conference. It's true. They're all really boring usually. But, you know, there was this one speech that, that cut through. Why don't you play a few seconds? Sure. As you stand watching me today at COP26, we cannot wait for speeches when the sea is rising around us all the time. Climate mobility must come to the forefront. We must take bold alternative action today to secure tomorrow. That was Simon Koffe, who's a minister for about 11 different things in, in the small island nation of Tuvalu. And, you know, four minutes his speech went for, and you thought, oh, here's just another guy from a small country doing what they do, making a mm-hmm. plea for the world to take them seriously. And just literally in the last 10, minute, uh, 10 seconds of a four-minute video, it pans out and you realise that he's standing in the sea. It's some bloody impactful imagery, honestly. And if you haven't seen it, I would highly suggest going and having a watch. But for the moment, let's check out my favourite video. So we are going to watch a little moment of Greta. We say no more blah, blah, blah. No more exploitation of people and nature and the planet. No more exploitation. No more blah, blah, blah. No more whatever the they're doing inside that. I loved that. I love Greta dropping a swear, honestly, because (laughs) you know what? I think there is a little bit of oversaturation of Greta in the media. I think that maybe we see her name come up a little bit too much and she's become slightly too emblematic. But when you see her in a context like that, it's really impactful. It it was. I loved what she said, actually, just before that clip. She said, change is not going to come from inside there, pointing at where all the official delegates were. Uh, That's not leadership. 
this is leadership. And, you know, went full Crocodile Dundee, that's not a knife, this is a knife. You know, she, <laughs> that, and, and, and she's right. Leadership is among the young. Um, you, you're one of the young. You know. Am I, Aunt? I feel bloody old. Close enough. All right. So let's start off by talking about the good news that came out of COP. Let's be optimistic yep. and have a look at the wins, however scant they may be, that came out of the past two weeks. Yeah, I mean, the, it, the Glasgow Climate Pact, which is the document, that has come out of COP has been bagged by some and sort of cautiously celebrated by others. There are some good elements in there. We did move down the road, maybe not as far as some people wanted on every area, but for example, we have a lot more net zero 2050 targets than we did. Yeah. Now, countries of the world have also been asked to meet and discuss uh, 2030 targets uh, in the next 12 months. So, you know, it's not all about 2050 anymore, or in the case of one or two countries, 2060 or 2070 even. But look, um, we have now countries responsible for 90% of the world's emissions committing to net zero by 2050. Two years ago, it was countries responsible for 30% That's of the world's win. emissions. That's a win. We're taking it. Yeah. It's nice. It's great to see. It is. And also, we have fossil fuels being targeted in the COP agreement for the first time, which is incredibly bizarre that they weren't outlined and explicitly mentioned earlier. But that being said, you know, another W. We'll take it. Absolutely a W in the, in the, in the column. I mean, to think that, you know... COP26, I mean, COP25, 4, 3, 2, 1, um, they never mentioned phasing out fossil fuels. It didn't occur to them. Uh, it, no, it does show that, that we have taken more than baby steps now. It, yeah. it was hard to get to this point, and we are getting somewhere. And look, I thought another positive was the US-China agreement. Um, mm-hmm. This was a big multilateral conference, and no one really expected... Uh, the t- world's two biggest emitters responsible for 40% to go off and pash in the corner like teenagers and come back and say, look what we made. Uh, we made a baby. It's Is called... that what they literally said? They um, said we'd be pashing in the corner? Maybe not quite exactly, but but look. John Kerry? Form. John Kerry and <laughs> Xie Jinhua do have form. They, they worked together on the um, Paris Agreement um, mm. prior to 2015. So, you know, and, and what they came up with basically a commitment to, to scale down, again, fossil fuels, to have a good look at methane and also to have a good crack at deforestation and stopping that. So, um, look, again, China and the US, uh, they've got their own little deal together. Good for them. No one saw it coming. Can't be a bad thing. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. And speaking about deforestation and methane, we also have to talk about a couple of agreements that came out of COP, which were pretty significant. So for a start, leaders from more than 100 nations, which represent about 85% of the world's forests, have now promised to stop deforestation by 2030, which is massive. Mm. And then there has been another agreement where 100 countries have agreed to a scheme to cut methane emissions by 2030. And that's huge because, honestly, methane is the under-discussed greenhouse gas. It's not as popular as its little friend, CO2. But, <laughs> you know, it's pretty it's pretty um, destructive when you look at the science behind it, especially because methane has a greenhouse gas potential that is about 84 times that of carbon when it's in the atmosphere for about two decades. I love so, it when you talk science. Thank you, Ant. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's, it's 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 terrific. You're right. I mean, you have the knowledge. You've got a science degree, and you're absolutely right. I mean, methane we don't talk about enough. It's about ten percent 
of the uh, pie, if mm-hmm. you like, of of global emissions. But just back to your, you know, deforestation. Um, a hundred countries, I think, uh, have have signed to to that pledge at COP twenty six. One of them was Brazil, and which is shocking. Well, it's surprising, and I don't know if it's meaningful because under Jair Bolsonaro, who did not attend COP, uh, Brazil has returned to its bad old ways, extracting resources from the Amazon, burning it in order to, to you know, basically make cattle ranches. Um, so whether Brazil's name is there just to look pretty or in a meaningful way remains to be seen. It's still a W and we're counting it. Well, deforestation <laughs> is a huge part of the climate pie, isn't it? That's and true. it is good that it was talked about at COP. Yeah, Absolutely. All right. So now, unfortunately, we do have to talk about the profound disappointments, and mm. there are a few coming out of this. And do you mind walking me through this? Well, I think one of the disappointments came for, from the issue of climate finance. Mm. Um, now, underdeveloped or developing nations of the world want climate finance, and they want that for adaptation and mitigation. They want it so they can build seawalls against the rising tide. Um, they want it so that they can transition from perhaps one type of agriculture to another in nations where um, increasing aridity is a problem or... Aridity? Did you just say aridity to me conversationally? When something becomes more arid, Alfie, <laughs> you talk about its aridity. <laughs> it's, do you know that Alice Springs is technically not in a desert because it doesn't have sufficient aridity, oh, all right? Good luck. I will okay. be erudite yes. about aridity if all I right. so choose. Thank you very much. But seriously, so climate, where were we? Jesus. Climate finance. Thank you so much. Climate finance, adaptation, mitigation. The, the developing world, quite rightly, says, look, you've caused this problem, Western world, developed world, chuck some money at us. They were hoping for $100 billion, didn't get anywhere near it. Mm-hmm. One or two nations kicked in a bit, including Canada and Japan. But um, I think... You know, we're on the loss side of, of COP here. The wins we've talked about, the losses, definitely a loss for the, for the developing world. Did not get anything like the amount of money they hoped. Absolutely. And there are huge climate justice issues that are attached to that. Yes. We also still have to talk about why we are incredibly off target when it comes <laughs> to global warming. So... According to the Climate Action Tracker, with all of the commitments that we've seen in Glasgow in the past fortnight, we are still heading towards 2.4 degrees of warming by the end of the century. And that is a profound loss here. I mean, we headed into this with this expectation that maybe 1.5 would be achievable. There was this tagline, 1.5, stay alive, which was kind of (laughs) cute. But unfortunately, it just didn't happen. And I think that we have to acknowledge that, you know, we're heading on this catastrophic path still and there hasn't been a huge amount of change that we need to get off that train. No, that's right. I mean, you make a really good point. It, it is catastrophic. You can't use that word enough. Uh, 1.5, you know, these, these, these degrees don't sound like much. Oh, a degree here, a degree there. But they're, they're the difference between being able to grow food. Mm. They're the difference between migratory animals that live in an area that are crucial for an in- ecosystem being in that area. They're the difference between Tuvalu being above water or below water, that unfortunately. That is exact, exactly right. So, so you know, I think, I think you make a really good point there. And, and um, you know, I think there were some pretty weird signs and symbols at, at, at COP26, you know, talking about some of the failures of the event. And, 
and um, one of them was the presence of Santos, wasn't it? I mean, how weird was that? Okay, did everybody see this? All right, so this happened on Twitter very quickly yeah. after um, COP actually kicked off, but there was footage of the Santos pavilion, right? There was like, well, there was a setup at the pavilion yeah. by the Australian government. Can you actually tell me what that looked like? Well, I mean, it just looked like a big ad for Santos. It mm. was just, you know, Santos is an extraction company. Um, Santos is the mob that's digging up the Pilliger in northern New South Wales to do fracking, which is a priceless inland, dry land forest that, that really most people feel should be left alone. Um, and the, the fact that Santos was there saying, hello, we're Santos, was just a weird look yeah. and not a win overall for, for Australia's look at COP26. Totally. But, you know, you have to talk about, I mean, there were fossil fuel lobbyists from all over the world there. Um, it was it was really shocking to see. There was actually a brilliant tweet that sort of drove home the metaphor of what was happening in that situation. It said something along the lines of, it was like inviting Marlborough executives to a lung cancer conference. And it's amazing. I, I don't know if they sort of prey on on the the sort of governments who've been da- dragged kicking and screaming to to, to these events and, and hang around and go, you sort of nudge, nudge, wink, wink, um, hey, if you're looking for a good fossil fuel deal. I don't know, but, but uh, they shouldn't be there at all. No, absolutely. And, you know, I think that that has strong implications for the decisions that countries are making on that floor. So we also have to talk about Australia, Russia, India and China avoiding avoiding any commitment to quickly phasing out fossil fuels. So Australia declined to join a group of 40 countries who were committing to phase out coal power. And Angus Taylor was there again talking about developing technology and not wiping out industries. Yeah, and and, and Keith Pitt, the Resources Minister, has had similar words to say today in the Australian newspaper. And, and, you know, he's he's absolutely going nowhere with coal. And obviously we can't phase out coal um, overnight in Australia, but, but... you know, they're, they're being pretty steadfast uh, there about that. So, again, that is not a good thing that, that, that came out of COP. And generally, Australia, look, we got there. We're one of the countries that pledged to net zero. We got our Prime Minister there for the happy snaps in the first two days before <laughs> any actual work was done at the conference. Um, he came up with a... Or, or the, the government came up with a, a document called Net Zero, the Australian Way... And, you know, I could talk about it all day. Maybe we will next week. I think we and might we are a... absolutely talking about this next week and we will drill down into the details of this document. Yeah, because Net Zero, the Australian way, is, a, to say the least, a, a uh, slightly sketchy document. And, you know, it, I guess it's emblematic of the fact that that uh, what came out of COP from Australia's perspective, mm, not much. Yeah, exactly. And that's about all we have to say about that. All right. So this is all quite infuriating. There's a lot of disappointment, but... What do you think now? Where are you heading and how do we walk away from COP? Okay, so we, we've discussed some of the good things that came out of it and some of the bad, and that's that's generally... I mean, you know, I've been reading a lot of analysis of it and mm-hmm. inevitably you just drift over to Twitter for the for the 280-character analysis, <laughs> which is a bit easier to, to sort of stomach sometimes. And oh, God, who wants to read an essay? You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly <laughs> right. But, but, you know, I mean, George Monbiot, a writer I admire, British environment writer, um, basically said the world's most powerful governments propose to do more to defend the fossil fuel industry than to defend life on earth. Mm. So that was pretty harsh. But then you come to someone like climate scientist Catherine Hayhoe, a woman I really admire as well. She's Texan. Not easy to be a climate scientist in Texas. Um, and she said, look, um, I didn't think it was that much, but is it more than we had two weeks ago? Yes. 
and there's a lot more to be done. So let's get on with it. So, I like that. I, like I love it. that sentiment. Yeah, look, I do. I, I agree. I think that, you know, there is optimism to be had here. Why not nurture hope? You know, we walked into this climate conference heading towards more than three degrees of warming by the end of the century. We have stemmed that by a couple of fractions of a degree, <laughs> which is progress overall and i think that should be celebrated we have to have wins so we can have you know i think i I think it should be celebrated as well and 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 inevitably you know a a conference never changed the world elfie Mm -hmm. um i'll tell you what changes the world uh people um not them in there us out here as greta said or whatever (laughs) she said blah 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 (laughs) and and you know revolutions change the world and they don't have to be bloody revolutions in the streets they can be a technological revolution Mm. they can be a a willpower revolution then and i think there is the willpower of people across the world to embrace new technologies there is the money out there there is there is you know it just i mean the government just has to do what the government should be very good at a liberal government which is paving the way for investment in new technology yeah um so there is I think overall cause for optimism. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, I think that is a brilliant place to leave it. But before we wrap up today's episode, I'm going to introduce a segment where we basically just tell each other stories that we're interested in this week (laughs) because we're both nerds and unfortunately we want to talk about this stuff. So, Ant, I believe you have a story about weather for me, right? I'm a much bigger nerd than you and (laughs) and I, I believe you might still be something called cool, which I don't know if I ever was, but if I was, I don't remember it. Um, look, I actually do a bit of weather writing for, for the company Weather Zone in my spare time. And, and um, this week, uh, today, this week, early this week, it snowed. It has been snowing in Australia. and It is summer, by the way. It right? is two weeks away from summer. Okay. And we've got snow at Threadbow. We've got a temperature of minus 4.3. Every time that happens, editorials, people co- come out, especially after a thing like COP has happened and said, well... What do we need that for? Global warming's a hoax anyway. And I just, every time you get one of these cold weather outbreaks in the middle of summer, I just want to say the following to people. I want to say that weather is your mood and climate is your personality. And I want to tell them that weather, Elfie, is the shirt you're wearing today and climate is your entire wardrobe. I love and that metaphor. Know, it's so clever. Aren't they great? The climate scientists gave me that um, when, I, <laughs> when I did a series of, of, of profiles of them. But, but um, we should never ever mix up climate and weather and partly I say this because there was an editorial in the Daily Telegraph or a story anyway just a couple of days ago that said oh it's flooding out somewhere didn't the climate scientists tell us it would never rain again brackets which by the way they didn't but but that's been paraphrased wrongly over the years but but the the point is every time uh, weird weather happens it's not cool to say ha ha climate change is therefore a hoax the weather is the weather it'll do what it does but over time we know that the climate is changing and we're causing it change. And that's why we need conferences like COP26 and more, isn't it, Alfie? Absolutely, Ant. All right, so that is all we have time for this week. We'll be back next week with more climate news. We'll be getting off the COP bandwagon, but we will be filling you in on everything that is happening in the environment and politics. So thank you so much for joining us. And before we leave you today, I would like to acknowledge the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, the traditional custodians of the land on which we're recording today. I'd like to pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging, as well as extend that respect to any Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples here. All right. Thank you very much, Elfie. That was lovely. And, and, you know, I just would urge everyone to like us to subscribe to us to talk to us on twitter to say hello we are the green canary podcast we're going to be here every week thank you so much for listening thank you bye bye